Hi all, Double G from Fight Game Media here, letting you know that we have a sister podcast feed to the one you're listening to right now. Mike Gilbert and J.D. Oliva have been doing a podcast called Brace for Impact, which is now on a free feed of its own. You can search for Brace for Impact in your podcast player or check out the link in the show notes. And if you want more Brace for Impact, you can find more from Mike and J.D. on our Patreon. On to the show. UWF really was the movement. The movement. Yeah, like, like a it was political, a, political like a change movement. in the thinking. Like yeah, wrestling yeah. should be like this, not that. They should be like this. Yeah, and they did not bounce off the ropes. They didn't even have drop kicks. They had no more martial arts uh, aspect, a lot of uh, kicking and, and striking. They, all together, they didn't even have one, two, three pinfalls. Mm-mm. To finish the guy, you're going to make the guy submit or knock guys out. Like, or you know, like, a points or something, a points uh, system. Yeah, right, got the rope break, you know, the submission's already in, and then are you going to tap out or not? And grab the rope. And so, then allow five five rope breaks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, during the match, yeah. It gave those uh, matches a lot different rhythm than, say, New yeah, Japan. Yeah, and the, lo- the whole logic. Yeah. That yeah. we believe that uh, we are watching professional wrestling contest, and this is what it should look like if they fight for real or something uh, not to say not to say that, that this it was and other wrestling wasn't because some it's like almost ironic that i would be watching the rings this weekend i'll probably go watch onita's fmw next week mm. you know it was a different time for press pressing was really starting to go outside the big two right especially yeah because Aging, you know, key going being politician, and Giant Baba already stepped down from the main, you know, main event. And Jumbo, Tenru, traditional wrestler, they aren't going to change what they what they've been doing, you know. Mm-hmm. And they were big Japanese against big Americans, Stan Hansen against Jumbo, you know, that all this very traditional. Another answer to what wrestling should be, you know what I'm saying? Do you think that um, when the UWF groups, especially in 1988, and from the from the two, the, the second iteration, of yeah, the 1991, UWF, that's it. Did Only it two, feel not even three years? Did it feel like when they came out, like this was much cooler, and the other stuff was a little feeling more outdated? Uh, made other group outdated, and and actually, see, that's another thing ironic. Deathmatch and crazy stuff would survive. New Japan was in jeopardy. Because mm. all through 70s and the 80s, that they were the strong style. You know, mm. Bolivian Antonio Inoki, right? And aged Antonio Inoki stepped out, you know, stepped down, and then what? Uh, Riki Choshu and Fujinami? Mm-hmm. That's another very traditional pro wrestler. They're then they were smart enough not to recognize if UWF style as their alternative. They would be doing the traditional pro wrestling. So they're, 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 the people were there to kind of end up comparing these two. 
are you still going to be watching New Japan or UWF is it? They are going to change wrestling. Mm. And 19, you know, up until 1988, that Antonio, Antonio Inoki, aged Antonio Inoki, avoided single match against Akira Maeda. It never happened. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. le- mm. leave it to people's imagination. What if Inoki and Akira Maeda had big time single match? Then would Mike, you know, Akira Maeda conquered Inoki and his kingdom? Mm. But that never happened, you know? Maeda so, went on to, uh, he just kind of went farther away from the New Japan because there was the incident in 86 yeah, we talked about. 87, 87. 87, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that was kind November. of his out of that kind of style of pro wrestling. He never really went back uh, to doing that New Japan style, more traditional pro wrestling style. Uh, he never did. He actually went more towards what became MMA. Uh, yeah, at the end of the day, yes. At the end, yeah. He was pretty close to the edge. Yeah, because uh, uh, that toe kyuk, striking and submission and suplexing and, you know, yeah. So striking and submissions. But um, looking back on it, especially now, gosh, like 30 years later, it, a lot of the techniques and the, and the strategies and the logic behind what they were doing, it really it doesn't look too, uh, it looks kind of like what's happening today and just generally. Yeah, MMA. not too far. Yeah, yeah that's what, uh, when you mix grappling and striking together, that's what would, that should look like. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason, centuries ago, our ancestor separated boxing and wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Very uh, interesting how it's come yeah, to ju- be. Jiu-jitsu had striking, you know, atemi, right? Mm-hmm. But when it became judo, they cut all the striking and kicking, you know? Judo is throwing and, you know, the pinning and combination and the karate striking, you know? And, uh, yeah, so they separate the style mm-hmm. and became different entity. All right, well, we, all right. Do we have enough? Sure. For, yeah, uh, I can cut something. Uh... Yeah, only about forty-five seconds. Okay, because people okay. Don't, people don't want to see us longer than that. Well, if it's good, I'll I'll uh, I'll keep it going. We we can stop the video now. We can keep the audio going. Okay. I can. Um... Yeah, you can always edit it. Yes. It's it's get, the more I do it, the faster I get at it. It's okay, more just good, a practice good. thing. And also, we ended up we'll be having good one hour episode. Yeah? Yes, yeah. So All we right. can go then, from uh, from you know eighty eight. Eighty eight. Oh, probably like uh, we'll cover the end of this part one. You know, part one part. Two, where did we you know stop? That right at nineteen eighty eight at the the okay, UWF big, number two. Okay. Big shoot kicking to the face by you know to Ricky Choshu's face yes uh during the six man tag team at Korakuen Hall that was November 19th 1987 and uh that night he was you know that uh, Akira Maeda was suspended indefinitely and officially was fired from New Japan Pro Wrestling February 1st of 1988 yeah but uh, what we talked about last week that I thought was very interesting was that Ricky Choshu, um, he forgave Maida for that. It wasn't... Um... And the first person to do so. Yeah. Hmm. So... Yeah, because it... there are a lot of, lot of ways to look at it because New Japan 
uh, namely that the then president, uh, not the, uh, he was a still vice president, but the, uh, the booker and uh, pretty much the head of company, you know, front office, Seiji Sakaguchi, mm-hmm. almost retired senior wrestler and doing, you know, all the backstage work that uh, he wanted to send Mex, you know, send Maeda to Mexico for a while, you know, just leave and go to Mexico and work and come back when everything's cool down. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then Maeda said, I ain't going to Mexico, right? <laughs> <laughs> of all places, you know, the Maeda, you know, Akira Maeda isn't going to do Lucha Libre or anything like that, right? And Not to say Lucha Libre is the less, but it's a different art, you know? Well, I think he also had a bad taste in his mouth after um, his WWF, short WWF stint. Uh, not so much. So? That's, a, that's a common belief, but uh, Akira Maeda himself was saying that the, that's when he learned real thing about wrestling psychology. Hmm. Yeah, the word psychology, he, he heard in back, backstage every day. It's like, psychology, 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 psychology. He thought psychology was a school subject, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like, uh, but the, the word psychology in the dressing room and backstage and everybody says, I mean, I guess every other word was psychology. So it's like, oh, what's so important in wrestling is not arresting moves or physicality of it, also important, but what's important? Like the most important thing was psychology. Then he really, really learned what psychology meant with, mm-hmm. uh, during this, you know, trip with in you know, a short trip with WWE, WWF at the time. Yeah, not, not very much. Un, I mean, this part is not 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 known really. So it's but, not like he had a real bad time, you know, when he traveled to WWE. He was friends with people like Big John Studd and all that. But he just did. We was definitely not interested in doing a lucha libre style at this point, especially after. Um, I mean, the style was getting so hot between 1988 and 1989, or after this happened, right when yeah. it got released. Uh, for the little younger or audience, or um, the ones who didn't listen to part one of UWF, the original UWF existed between '84 and '85. Mm-hmm. Okay, there was a two-year period. The very first version of UWF that went out of business, you know, and they all the Maeda, the Takada, Yamazaki, the Fujiwara, Kido, the, and also young, you know, An, you know, An, Yoji Anjo, young Yuko Miyato, young Tatsuo Nakano, they all basically went to New, New Japan and spent next two years, 86 and 87 there. And uh, they were almost all signed with you know, New Japan and, and almost became part of a New Japan crew, you know, at the end of 1987, if this, this thing didn't happen. Yeah. And uh, that was the 86 and 87, or the, the, the original UWF guys, that the UWF roster went back and worked with New Japan. That was when UWF style became actually popular. Yeah. Mm, because there was, there were a lot of like, uh, you know, eight man 10 man tag team matches where it would be uwf versus against new japan guys mm-hmm. yeah and also that was when you were on network television every week mm-hmm. you know that uh, friday night eight o'clock new japan world pro wrestling tv show program every week that uh, they were saying uwf uwf this and uwf that still part of you know new japan roster 
but uh, they kept this UWF logo and UWF name and the tracksuit top, you know, top and bottom. They worked as if it was a separate company. Not as if, but they were a separate company and signed with New Japan for this period, period of time. Yeah. And that's when, just like the last you know, episode, Akira Maeda had this very significant historical MMA or work MMA or pro wrestling. You, you decide Don Nakaya Nielsen famous fight, right? Mm. Yeah. That really was, and also more people watched it because that was a network special 90 minute primetime special kind of like your wwf you know like a nbc saturday night main event separate from your regular show they had the primetime 90 minute program 7 30 to 9 o'clock everybody watched it and uh i guess akira maeda became more of a household name during this period with new japan and it was also more proof of this new kind of phenomenon in Japanese wrestling where we saw less and less of the big foreigner versus Japanese wrestler. It was more Japanese versus Japanese stars right. in the spotlight in the main event on national television. And also 1987 New Japan is very interesting because there were like a three different groups of Japanese roster. You know, Inoki Fujinami, traditional New Japan uh, main roster, right? Mm-hmm. Then then Ricky Choshu and his 10, 15 guys came back from old Japan and became Choshu Gundan, you know, like a second incarnation of Ishingun. And then mm-hmm. you got 15 Choshu guys. Then UWF in the locker room. Then American locker room. So there, I remember seeing like four different locker rooms, you know, like at the Sumo Palace. They didn't room together. New Japan guys had their room. Ricky Choshu's group had their own big room. American guys had to have their own room, and UWF guys had their own room. You know, so I ran back and forth to you know get their comments. You know, between matches. Mm-hmm. What and was also, the uh, yeah. what was the what was the uh, atmosphere like? Was uh, how um, how intense, especially because the uh, UWF guys were trying to show off what this new future of wrestling idea or 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 um, um but they were the most friendly guys mm-hmm. to the magazine people i see i see yeah they were very friendly you know like an uptight one is a new japan inoki dressing room you know yeah and then during the show you know like a young lion chris benoit or somebody walk in the room they get mad at it. you know mm. yeah very interesting they, they protected something more so than the uh what, what i guess uwf was doing uwf guys were doing there was less yeah, to, UWF uh, guys hide. were pretty open, you know, because nothing to hide kind of guys, and they were pretty friendly back then. Yeah. Now, and, yeah. In a, okay, so in these these two years, about eighty eight yeah. to ninety, yeah, I think we could also say we really started to see the breakout <clears throat> of uh, Takara. He became really. He started. Be, when did Major he start? Force. Be, mm-hmm. Yeah, during 86, 87, um, New Japan days that. Nobuhiko Takada was IWGP junior heavyweight champion and going mm-hmm. up against people like Shiro Koshinaka, you know, yeah. So, because he was a little more slim, you know, a light, lot lighter than Akira Maeda was and younger, right? So, yeah, they, they, the company put him in a more of a junior heavyweight division. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Takada, the 
Kuniaki Kobayashi, the young hero Hase. Hase was still junior heavyweight at the time, too.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Shiro Koshinaka, of course. And young Keiichi Yamada, that was before he was Jushin Thunder Liger.、Mm. Yeah. So that was interesting. But this, after this you know, big face kicking thing,、uh, November of 87, again, you know,、uh, the, the Maeda, people, and Maeda himself got suspended and, and got officially fired as of February 1st of 1988. And, 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 and、uh, what are you going to do now? Then he said, we'll start UWF again. Then Takada, Yamazaki, Miyato, Nakano, Anjo all walked out, of, you know, just literally walked out of New Japan, you know. Contract of 1988 and joined Maeda for reopening of UWF May 12th, Korakan Hall. That, that's like a starting over thing.、Mm-hmm. And I think they named the show Starting Over. Yeah. Yes.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, see, UWF was so big, and then they, some 30 years later, we we're still talking about it, but they actually only lasted two years and seven months. Mm-hmm. You know, between May of 1988 and the last show they had was December of 1990. Very short、oh、period. Yeah, yeah. And then they only had 31 shows altogether. 31 shows in two、hmm. years and seven months period. They only you know, ran basically one show a month. But it's all Budokan, the you know, Sumo Palace, the you know, Osaka Gymnasium, the, they,、um, they had the Ariake Coliseum. Uh, they had the Jingu Stadium show, Osaka Stadium show, and they just uh, uh, kind of like a pioneered a lot of building that the, at the time the wrestling company weren't using. Yeah. And no TV. Without、time. TV. Yeah. We have, yeah. Very New interesting. Japan was a big company because they had this TV Asahi's annual big budget, right? And, well, TV rights, of course. And this was, I think, a peak era of your VHS videotape. You know, I seriously.、See. Yeah, 88, 89, 90, basically those three year p e r i o d Everybody had to have UWF. I mean, they had to watch UWF on your videotape, no、mm-hmm. television, you know. Betamax.、Uh, it's like a VHS、uh, was winning already.、Yeah. Oh, that was a little earlier, huh? That was a little、yeah. earlier. <clears throat> I think so, yeah. We're moving on to well, some、disc. people had both, you know. I remember some people having, like, a, well, don't know, you know, we don't know which one to buy, and then a lot of people thought Sony Betamax was going to win, huh?、Mm. But、uh, eventually, VHS conquered the world, I guess. And、uh, to make the long story short, that you have to watch UWF matches on videotape, they didn't have television, so they the, those videotape they were selling like 100,000 copy, yeah. Wow. So、yeah. it was really like a,、um, it was the hot thing to find out. You had to, but you, you couldn't just casually see it. You had to seek it out for yourself. There was something special about that. Yeah. And all those 31 shows, they, they only had 31 shows altogether. And, but every show was taped for videotape. And it's entirely, see, no editing, nothing. It's just from the beginning of the match to the end. And、uh, yeah. And、uh, you can watch the whole thing, you know? And during this time, I think this is where we also started to see Funaki and Suzuki really come out of their show. And, and Tamura right. too. Right.、Uh, Funaki and Suzuki didn't join UWF until spring of 1989.、Mm-hmm. At the time, Funaki was touring Europe 
with of people, Scott Hall. <laughs> huh. Yeah, Texas Scott. You know, he 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 had you know Scott Hall had worked New Japan a little earlier on, like eighty six, eighty seven, mm. and uh, he he was waiting for you know young Funaki, and, and they were rooming together for Arrow Vance's you know European tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, young Funaki was gonna come back just like what New Japan does. You you know you send young boys you know like a prospect you know that the future superstar spend a year in foreign country and come back with what the different costume different hairdo and even different ring name sometimes right mm-hmm. and, and then become another you know like a, a total character and then he upon his you know returning to Japan he said I'm going back to New Japan I'm joining UWF oh my gosh it was a big news then his buddy Minoru Suzuki. Only one year after, you know, one year and a half, maybe one year active, like a young lion, Minoru Suzuki. He said, I quit. Then he joined UWF. It was a big thing. So uh, they had the full package UWF guys. Oh, and also one year later, uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, who pre- previously you know, decided to stay with New Japan one more year, he joined um, UWF again in uh, 89. We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but I wanted to let everyone know about Fight Game Media Network Plus. If you enjoy the Fight Game Media Network, check out Fight Game Media Network Plus at patreon.com front slash fight game media. We have three specific Patreon only shows and we'll soon have monthly bonus content from the show you're listening to right now. And it's just five bucks a month. So if you want to support your favorite podcasts on the network, go to patreon.com front slash fight game media, and you'll get more content than you can shake a stick at. And these were, this was the time when all these guys were breaking out. This was kind of all together. Oh, they they all looked like individually, all superstars. Akira Maeda, Nobuhiko Takada, Fujiwara as a master, and upcoming Masakatsu Funaki and Minoru Suzuki, of course. And you have um, the, the American trained UWF style guys, you know, too. And the U, U Cosmos, they had the Tokyo Dome. Uh, the, that was in November of 1989. Every single match was either professional wrestler against kickboxer or the amateur gold medal guys or what, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boxer versus shoot fighter. Yeah, um, yeah, something. Yeah, American style wrestler versus, uh, uh, you know, Yamazaki versus um, who is the guy? Uh, Yamazaki. He, he, he was a wrestler. Dolman. Yeah. Chris Dolman. Yeah, Chris Dolman, of course. Yeah. Chris Chris Dolman from in Holland and his guys. He see Chris Dolman had like twenty five of his guys too in Holland waiting to fight. That all migrated into rings a couple years later. Which rings rings was the company that seemed to keep the relationship with the soviet uh, scene yeah 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 not new japan not uwf it seemed to be maida's not, uh camp yeah maida's camp because the wrestler coming from america you automatically associate that with traditional pro wrestling you know and uh it was maida's idea that uh non-English speaking people from Russia or Holland or, you know, all, all kinds of different companies, I mean, countries that uh, they were put in the ring under one, you know, like a common rule. 
if you understand the rule to fight, the language barrier wasn't there. Mm. Universal Sports. language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you uh, should go back to the, this second version of UWF. If this UWF wasn't successful, this wasn't going to be UWF I or Fujiwara Gumi, therefore no pancreas or rings, nothing, right? Mm. So uh, the, the, this two, two, it's almost three years, but not even three years, two years and seven months period, only 31 shows. But that's what made this whole legacy of UWF that we talk about 30 years later. <laughs> it, 30 years later, my gosh. Yeah. It's still, um, you know, it's still influencing what's uh, what people are doing now. I mean, look at, uh, we got Bloodsport, we have New Japan still has uh, just great, a, a, great, yeah, great, yeah. yeah the, the, their own iteration, we'll come to that later on, but they, they're doing those a, guys were little kids watching this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is Tamura in charge of that? Is he, does he head that up? Uh, Kiyoshi Tamura? Mm -hmm. Kiyoshi Tamura, Kiyoshi does Tamura he... debuted with U this version of UWF, yes. Mm -hmm. and uh, moved to UWFI under Takada. But after UWF International went down, he went to rings instead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yoshi Tamura using UWF music. Oh, my gosh. You know, then having a fight against people like Henzo Gracie, you mm -hmm. know, and it's like no longer looking like pro wrestling, right? It looks like uh, what we say is MMA now. So Today, it'll be yes. UFC yeah. or, or Rising. <laughs> mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So that's what's interesting about U UWF. UWF really did become this big gap bridge between professional wrestling and complete MMA. Mm -hmm. Still professional wrestling, though. Yeah. But what um, they thought, what they thought pro wrestling should be. And we have to remember that there was no one really knew what fighting looked like. We know more now. We're no, we're more mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. we're literate with yeah. what a fight it's, looks it's like. Proven. And mm -hmm. also UFC already had what the 24 year history. Yeah. 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 So it really became its own genre, its own entity, its own sport. Yeah. But uh, yeah, UWF was trying to do that. And also every single one of them were pro wrestler, trained pro wrestler, trained under Antonio Inoki originally and Karogach. Mm. Yeah. But uh, it's important to have Karogach influence because, you know, all through 60s and 70s in, into 80s, I myself believed in Karogach and I still do to this this day. Yeah. And, and he, he's the father of a lot of what we're talking about. Yeah. And then just like we, we talked about in part one, Antonio Inoki wanted, wanted to have Karogach influence right at the beginning of new japan pro wrestling back in 1972 mm. yeah but Antonio Inoki's new japan pro wrestling slowly moved to more of a wwe direction right became mm. big production yeah so and, uh, he, they discovered hulk hogan yeah yeah and it, it went a different direction different um different way of interpreting what pro wrestling is that was more, I guess it leans more to this idea of I think wrestling is this way and you think wrestling is that way. And I think UWF were just, yeah, it was so different. It yeah. was well, so, Let it, me sidetrack about a 30 second. Mm -hmm. that the, but Antonio Inoki was telling people that all along that, well, back in my days, it was all real. 
How's that? <laughs> I mean, nice. I don't know about other people, but my wrestling was real. Mm. Uh, that's okay. That, I sidetracked. But uh, Maeda, you know, Akira Maeda was the, the person who really wanted to do this for real. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the, the the styles of, of matches that we saw, they had, uh, I, I don't know how you can compare the energy or, um, or you know, some something like a, uh, Tenru versus Riki Choshu is great Tradition, Japanese for wrestling, yeah. but traditional, yeah, it, it's yeah, completely different from what UWF became. Completely yeah, Riki Choshu against Fujinami, the Riki Choshu against Tenru or Jumbo Tura for that matter. You, the, the 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 ring bell that the match starts what you're gonna do in the mixed circle and you have collar and elbow tie up and lock up right mm -hmm. it's no martial arts no kicks no yeah like uh, what would you do in the mma situation that the getting close is the most dangerous thing right you know what i mean mm -hmm. and what would you do you don't lock up like a grappler you just kind of punch your kick mm -hmm. yeah so it's like oh wow and then the, Japanese audience, 1988 audience, start learning. Yeah, that you that's what you might do instead of locking up, you know, that uh, you have to throw a kick to have your own distance or something, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe yeah. knockout. Yeah, right. High kick, middle kick. Yeah. And then as soon as you catch the guy, uh, you're going to, you know, like uh, take this guy down to the mat, you know, and wrestle. And uh, going to all kinds, you know, submission with all kinds of direction. What and, Korogachi would teach you. Mm. Yeah. And, it, and Japan was a great place for this style to develop because uh, it's not something that you can uh, watch and you, you have to pay attention. And to the match. Yeah. The to content. the match. And I think because, as we talked about before, the uh, Japanese pro wrestling fan culture was so print and uh reading friendly so this style yeah uwf was part of it because um it's back in 1983 but uh, the pro wrestling magazine that i was working and uh you know gong magazine they all became weekly magazine instead mm -hmm. of monthly publication so the magazine like 130 160 page magazine comes out every week that much content that the, you are forced to be a little bit more you know honest about what's going on right mm -hmm. yeah i mean not to take away anything take anything away from bill after type magazine but uh, you know every month magazine it's more graph you know like a color page to look at kind of thing and weekly magazine you really have to have stories news and what's going on backstage i mean it, more it became more and more like resting observer style <laughs> you know um do you think that that was also a big part of what kept uwf so popular is because i, I believe so TV. because maeda takada fujiwara uh probably like uh satoru sayama who already walked out of pro wrestling but uh, they always agreed to do magazine interviews anytime mm -hmm. you know and it was not under under Inoki's watch, you know. So uh, they were, you know, like 86, 87. Technically, they were still working with New Japan under their contract. But uh, for us to be able to, you know, the, to conduct a magazine interview, we didn't go through New Japan, you know, the, the PR department. We went to UWF Dojo 
you know, one afternoon to get interviews. And mm-hmm. the Maeda was there, Takada was there, Fujiwara was there. They just sat there and, 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 and all right, well, what do you want to talk? And they were really friendly and doing a long interview mm-hmm. yeah, for magazine. So this reading oriented Japanese fans were able to read a lot of what Maeda had to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His real thoughts. Yeah, I think so. Not, yeah. not just like a storyline, not just something for or character or gimmick mm. or yeah, yeah, programs or yeah, stuff like that. So yeah, all it these became more and more the gimmicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of- then the, it it takes more reading to fully understand what UWF is going to do. Yeah, yeah because these guys didn't have uh, personas like a Jushin Liger or Great Muta. They were more orthodox. Trunks, and also they were yeah, and then they were wearing like a uniform. Yeah, the short right. trunks and matching color knee pads and the matching color kicking pad. Yeah. So uh, the wrestling fan grew up during that time period. They all want to dress up like UWF guy, even to day, you know, to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, something happened, and all these, you know, they only had like I said, thirty-one shows in almost three years, in I mean less than three-year period. And at the end of 1990, that uh, see, they were making a lot of money, but uh, you know, the, they were running five, six Budokan shows a year, the stadium shows, the Osaka Stadium, of course, the, all Fukuoka, the Hiroshima, the Sapporo, the, all big shows. But they were like, something was going on in, in the front office, company staff, in UWF and, and, and Maeda wanted to, you know, really see the, that the, or the bank statement, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they were more of a, I don't know, it's a right word for it, but the, like the Maeda was looking at this small company, UWF, like egalitarian society, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cause we are drawing a lot of people and we're selling a lot of tickets. We're selling a lot of videotapes and also self-sufficient and company must have money. And that, that we, he trusted manager and, and, and uh, at the time, and uh, he didn't even see the money coming and going, you know, and then all of a sudden there's no, not much money in the bank. What happened? Right. Mm. Yeah. And then uh, Maeda was going to reconstruct the company. Like I said, you got to get, you got to carry in society, you know, that the, um, well, in Korogachi's exact word, deal business with equal hand is what Korogachi was saying. Equal hand. At the end, you get so much more and, and uh, peace and happiness for all of you. Mm-hmm. That's what Korogachi was saying. But uh, something happens and then all of a sudden when, when Maeda looked through the uh, bank account of UWF companies, like, why don't we have money here, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, something happened in... Uh, or the company staff got fired or quit. And uh, they had this big famous meeting at the Midas condominium, January 7th of 1991, to create, the, the, all these guys are staying, okay? But they were going to close this existing UWF company and start another company form and company body and will real start the very glass clear accounting you know, that the, everybody will know how much money is coming and how much money going out and the, how much money we are making equally and all these things. It's a great idea, right? Mm, more transparency. Yeah. And that was 1991. 
famous January 7th big meeting at Maeda's apartment or condominium, I should say. And that was the night they decided to go three different way. All right. We, you know, all right. Then, then uh, if everybody, each and every one of us can agree with, you know, what we're talking today. All right. I quit UWF. Then as all of a sudden at the end of the meeting, UWF split into three ways in the middle of their popularity. It was a shocking deal, very shocking. And what three-way was a professional wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, Fujiwara and Funaki and Minoru Suzuki and a couple other guys, okay? And UWF International. Oh, by the way, UWFI is actually only American name for it. Mm-hmm. I think, again, it's uh, Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer pretty much started at UWFI. In Japan, we call it U-Inter, mm-hmm. UWF International, right? So we call it U-Inter. Anyhow, that the, the second group was UWF International, Takada, Yamazaki, Anjo, the Miyato, the Nakano, the, yeah, large group. Then Akira Maeda's rings all by himself, one guy. Yeah. Were the, he, his original guys, were they his trainees? So uh, Maeda's? Like, yeah, like um, yeah. Um, Anjo and Miyato. And uh, who was it? Nakano. Kanehara, uh, Hiromitsu. Hiromitsu, oh, Kane, Kanehara. Oh, Hiromitsu Kanehara don't start until UWFI. Okay, so this, okay. Right, or Sakuraba or... Uh, ah, those uh, yeah, Yoshi, mid-90s, yes. Yeah, Yoshihiro Takayama. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. all debuted with UWFI. Okay, so it's a lit, we're yeah. fast-forwarding so a little quite bit. quite a few good ones. Yeah, fast-forward, yeah. But uh, those were the original UWF guys. But UWF International, UWFI in English, they trained and developed a lot of new guys too. And mainly you gotta have to touch upon Sakuraba's legacy and Yoshihiro Takayama's legacy, a little bit later on, yeah. Mm. But uh, UWFI was uh, initially big success, you know, Um, because they had Nobuhiko Takada's main guy was kind of like in shadow of Akira Maeda's, but when he became the main guy, hey, he is the guy. You know, Akira, I mean, that was Nobuhiko Takada's peak year when you think about it and became pro wrestling world heavyweight champion that the championship belt given by Luthes, that the original existing 1930s Luthes belt was given to him. Mm, the very small, very thin one, thin leather Yeah, the gold medal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they discovered people like Gary Albright, the giant monster, you know, amateur wrestler. And they recruited, you know, Salman Hashimikov and Victor Zangief from Russia because New Japan wasn't using him. And the Kazarsky brothers, or one of the Kazarsky twins from uh, the, the Olympic. And, and the, yeah, some of the guys. Oh, and also that uh, that was partially uh, today's uh, UWF, not UWF anymore, but Catches, Catch Can, Snake Pit Gym, right? That the, Yuko Miyata had his, his vision. He wanted to invite people over, like people like Billy Robinson and Danny Hodge. Mm-hmm. And more about going back to what Antoninoki was dreaming in the 70s. The pure catch lineage. Yeah, but not exactly MMA yet. No, not yet. Right, because he wanted to go back to his vision of professional wrestling. See, Takada was a champion, but he wasn't exactly the producer type. You know what I'm saying? He like was a the, performer. The star of the movie. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Anjo and Miyato and another guy, Ken Suzuki, uh, the front office president, they worked a lot of ideas. And then they ended up bringing in Vader, you know, as a super Vader, because New Japan wasn't using him anymore. So put Vader up against Takada and what can happen, you know? And uh, the Vader was interesting because he really studied UW videotape before they came in, you know, before he came in and he was able to adapt and he was big enough and tough enough to, you know, observe all the Takada's, Takada's big kicks and everything. And he, he is so big that it's impossible to take him down, right? Yeah. yeah, he he wrestled in a way that seemed realistic, but he didn't have to change his style too much. But it, yeah, it did... so so therefore professional wrestling. Yeah, yeah, that really. I think a lot of uh, Western fans seeing Vader in Japan in these it, they they were huge matches too. Takara was uh, in Jingu yeah, Stadium. Takara against Vader at the Jingu Stadium. Oh, big show, big I, big show. How many people? Like more than sixty thousand? Like oh no, no, like uh, more like a thirty-five. Oh, okay, so but yeah. still quite big. Oh, pretty big. Not as quite modern as Tokyo Dome, but the, you know, Jingu Stadium has its own like a uh, my um, sentiment. You know, like it's a uh, not dome. Don't have the roof. It's a baseball field. It's the home of swallows. You know, and uh, baseball show has some certain you know feeling to it. The show starts when it's you know still light out, and goes into the first match, second match. You know. And they go into main event. All of a sudden, it's dark, so the light, the big, you know, lighting comes out. It's like, oh, I'm ready for main event, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, before we forget that the UWFI brought in people like uh, Bad News Allen, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the Bad News Brown, mm-hmm. and also Aged Iron Sheik, <laughs> and also people like John Tenta, the Earthquake. Yeah. Actually, they could wrestle. Mm-hmm, because they all had a background in either martial arts. Yeah, and then they still sumo. looked like Bad News Brown. They still looked like Earthquake John Tenta. They still looked like your, um, yeah. Uh, Bob Backlund? Oh, yeah they, yeah. they dressed exactly like what you would dress in American Ring. But when they came to Japan, they did this style. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, huh? And they were able to do so. Now, how about somebody on these early... Um, well, maybe the the second version of the UWF. I remember seeing Norman Smiley in this situation. Oh yeah, he was a great Malenko trainee. Yes, because mm-hmm. uh, well, they were the, the Masami Soranaka, that the son-in-law of Korogachi was still around. He is no longer with us. Um, he died young, but uh, he Soranaka and Koro trained American guys locally in, at the Tampa's Malenko Dojo. So they were. People like Bart Vale, uh, kickboxer. Norman well, he would Smiley. be in UWF too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Bart Vale, that the Norman Smiley, Willington Wilkins Jr., Jumbo Beretta, the, uh, yeah, uh, even people like Mark Starr. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they, yeah, Smiley were, was in it kind of, uh, he, he branched out and he had a wild career but he started in right right in he, later on he went to mexico and he became black magic black magic another, yeah. yeah had another career but uh, there were a group of american wrestlers who were able to do this style you know so it's not just japanese wrestlers we need so you needed these guys to have run shows and also ken shamrock 
was sent back to Malenko Dojo and uh, he became a UWF style guy. That helped him tremendously later on. And, and, and most people in America think Ken Shamrock as an MMA fighter. No, he was pro professional wrestler. Mm. Yeah. A Dan Severn too, let's not forget. Right, right. Dan Severn, of course. He didn't even wrestle that much in America, you know? No. Yeah. Maybe local shows in the D Detroit area. Right, because the... he was trained under the Sheik. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so all these guys were willing to do, you know, come to Japan and do this style. And uh, it was, there was a, the, the, the first group that really, you know, like a breakthrough kind of, you know, that the popularity was UWFI. Yeah. And also Takada against Trevor Barbeck, if you remember, the heavyweight boxer. Ah. Yeah. Very interesting, right? Still, it was still uh, this idea of having a fighter versus boxer. Like and fight. what's interesting is the work or shoot almost didn't matter because these boxers didn't trust wrestling people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. And well, there's a it's bad a business. stigma. Yeah, it's a business, all right. But uh, get in the ring with Japanese people like that, they go, you don't know what's going to happen. They didn't trust UWF people. Therefore, it looked so real, right? And they, he basically ran away from the ring. Yeah. It, it did. I mean, one of the parts that I think so many fans liked about the UWF guys was yeah. that they had, they they the techniques they were using. They're not they're not made up techniques. They're real. They're real techniques. If you like, we were talking earlier. It's if you watch it today and and then put on modern grappling or UFC, it doesn't look that different. I mean, it, it's more. It's there. There are definitely differences, but. It's yeah, not like watching WWE. Yeah, today's, yeah, today's, today's MMA, you know, more punch oriented than kicks. You know, they, they knew that the techniques were real. So I'm sure the boxers uh, felt kind of like, oh, what are they going to do? Are they going to hold back? What is the, you know, or the safe distance and the dangerous distance? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. It, it's and because UFC or Pride, they weren't around yet. So there was a little bit of kind of what is this exactly? How far will it go? Because we what, can have MMA. And what what happens in a real fight situation? Mm -hmm. You start kicking the guy's legs or something. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, going to the wrestling taco or something. The, yeah. the If you're a fan, you have to kind of think about it more like you're watching a game or a sport. Yeah. You, you have to stay in that mindset. But for a fan standpoint, we have to look at that when you go watch UWF shows, you are ready to watch UWF show, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, but at the end of the night, all right, oh, we watched UWF today. It was good. But uh, you know what? I want to watch <laughs> traditional pro wrestling now. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so it, uh, it was a split. It was a split in uh, style. Just a, yeah, it of evolved course, some of these a lot. You know, people only believed in UWF style and going to, you know, now that the split into two different, three different groups and Fujiwara. You, you know, did his style that the Takada and UWFI had their style against Americans rings without American influence that they went all the way to like a more and more like your what they're calling MMA today, but the, at the time they're calling free fight, you know, mm -hmm. freestyle fight, anything goes kind of thing. And, uh, and going far and far away from traditional pro wrestling. They supported rings because Akira Maeda was there, you know, that uh, he was 80s and early 90s hero 
to a lot of, lot of wrestling fans that a lot of wrestling, Japanese wrestling fans believed he was going to defeat Antonio Inoki and become the new king. That didn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. the Inoki against Maeda never happened, you know. But that almost helped UWF, um, like, like uh, image elusively. The match never took place. Therefore, oh, what if, right? We never know. Right, right. But that also helped, you know, like, you know, we, we, we can only imagine, you know. And, uh, yeah. And so, uh, actually, the split was almost inevitable. And uh, professional wrestling Fujiwara Gumi had another split the following year, 1992. Minoru Suzuki and, and, and uh, Masakatsu Funaki and other five guys, again, uh, along with Ken Shamba, they created Pancras walked away from uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara's professional wrestling idea. Fujiwara Gumi in itself, as a small group, lasted until like 96, you know, on its own. And uh, let's note that the very last uh, complete Fujiwara Gumi independent uh, Koraken show was against Dick Murdoch. Hmm. Fujiwara against Dick Murdoch. And what they were doing, what they thought was professional wrestling. So with Fujiwara Gumi, what, what yeah. would you say the the style was compared to Pancrase or or UWFI or um... not that much difference? But the Fujiwara, you know, himself will never go all the way to MMA. He's a pro wrestler, mm. you know. This is pro wrestler. What mm. are you talking about, right? Kind of thing. Still connected to uh, to Inoki, Inoki, yeah, 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 and then. Uh, He's more of an artist, and uh, he's his own person. He's a great wrestler, Fujiwara, right? Great wrestler. Mm. But uh, he's not going to – he shouldn't have – you know what I mean? He, 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 has, he should have dojo all to himself, not to train guys and feed them. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So yeah. uh, it was hard for him to run a company, you know, that mm. Fujiwara should be on his own. And that's what he is to this day. Mm. But the Funaki and Suzuki had not different vision that they walked out and created Pancras. Therefore, that the birth of MMA, right? Very much so. And yeah. it, it was yeah. on, I remember pretty clearly watching those infomercials. It was right around when UFC was also getting popular and you would sometimes see. And the, also, uh, yeah, that, uh, as, as, a, as a Pancras fighter, Ken Shamrock was the first one to join this U- U- UFC movement. Mm, that's and, right. Uh, yeah, the very first encounter of Ken Shamrock against Hoist Gracie, you know, that made UFC marketable, right? Mm. Yeah. So there was a big cross, you know. And uh, we were hoping that uh, somebody like Funaki will go to UFC and have fight. But that didn't take place, you know. Mm. But a little bit later on at the Tokyo Dome, that uh, Hicks and Gracie against Funaki happened. Mm. Then Funaki lost. Yeah. That's that was, another uh, yeah. That's when it was, um, it was full-blown MMA uh, time. Yeah. Yeah, because Hicks and Gracie is not a professional wrestler and he's not about to do pro wrestling. No. Mm. Yeah. But then again, wrestling fans are the ones watching it, right? That's Always. right. Yeah. And uh, some, of the, some of the wrestling fans never came back to traditional pro wrestling after that. You become right. Pride fan, Rings fan, K1 fan, Inoki Bomaya fan, you know, that this is what it looked like if the fight was real. Then it became so 
focus to, you know, like MMA aspect of it, and then uh, quit being a wrestling fan or something. But that was 20 years ago. Yeah, it seemed like uh, each company kept trying to outdo each other every was time. a little bit of different method. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And but, yeah. you, you can see there's the UWF way to do it or there's the FMW only to way to do it. That was another way of, of pushing it, but in, in a different direction, stretching it different. Uh, to and the other side. By then, you know, in mid-90s, mid Onita and FMW had its own spin-offs, like IWA mm -hmm. Japan and Wing. Uh, Wing. Yeah, their spin-offs, you know. And Big Japan was Big Japan too, yeah. At the, at the very beginning, they were going to do a lot of death matches, yes. So there are group of fans that are wanting to watch these aspects of progressing. Mm. Yeah. But a different, what, what, a different what philosophy. Would, yeah, then what would old Japan and New Japan do? New Japan, yes, this is an era of three musketeers. And old Japan, the four guys, you, see, you call it four pillars now, but yeah, Misawa, Kobashi, and Kawada, and, and Taue, that era. Shitenno. Shitenno. That was very strong uh, the, the, the traditional pro wrestling at its best, don't you think? It was uh, peaking in a lot of different ways, especially at this time, I think. Yeah, I so it was a so rich, that rich meaning like uh, we have so much to, you know, select, you know, so much to, you know, that uh, like decide what you, what would you like to watch next week, you know? Mm -hmm. If all Japan and the Misawa guys run their Budokan, I'll go, right? And then when New Japan does their big show at the Tokyo Dome with Hashimoto and Muto and all that, yeah, I'll go there, right? And then and so, so much, yeah, so many different, you know, directions. And uh, it was a really good era. And so, and, uh, yeah, on top of that, our magazine was selling real good too. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hot time for yeah for, for yeah, a lot of different 90s. magazines too yeah uh, a lot of this is also when i think there was a lot more merchandise available starting in the yeah. early 90s and we have to remind people that the, it was years before the internet mm, that's right yeah. yeah um so it's hard for today's fan to you know understand anything without the internet you know it's not like they've been around forever uh, the internet era don't start until like 1999. You know what I'm saying? Mm, mm. I mean, it existed in 90s, but not until everybody had their own laptop or the tablet or the, your, you know, cell phone didn't have didn't even have the internet connection then. You know, it, you have to wait until iPhone, right? It to was. Have the, uh, oh no! Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So it, it's because today's fans don't, uh, you know still need to understand the fact that the, all these things happen before the internet and its information and its speed you know the news and information or the the right information the wrong information all mixed up and they just go through this internet website you know and the spider website that the, you don't know what is right information anymore at this point but uh, yeah uh, all these 90s wrestling revolution with the UWF uh, and uh, the, the New Japan still existed, all Japan still existed, people like Onita still existed, and American wrestling. And it all, all these things are all there before the internet. Yeah. That's you know, important. At around this time, too, it wasn't, <clears throat> I, I can't, well, you tell me, Fumi, how about yeah. K1? They were starting to come up in the early 90s too, but it was an yeah, entirely yeah. different. Um, it was because they, they were the heavyweight kickboxing, 
Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of, uh, it kind of was presented in a pro wrestling way in Japan. Yes, in like because they were in, uh, in, in uh, they used wrestling magazine and the, to- uh, and the Kakutogi Tsushin magazine from baseball magazine, Sha, our sister publication, broke off from weekly pro wrestling. They created uh, like a martial art kind of magazine and it was same format. So a lot of ma- wrestling magazine reader started buying and reading you know, migrated into martial art magazine publications. And people like, you know, uh, Satake, if you remember, mm-hmm. yeah, they were like, they had their mixed martial art type fight in, in rings first, you know, being, you know, Satake and, and Akira Maeda or friend that the karate superstar, like, you know, Satake come in with martial arts get up and, and, uh, they had the mixed martial arts fight in front of wrestling fans. They became famous. And K1's production, just like New Japan production, big stadium or big arena, laser beam and theme music and a big entrance ramp and, and a similar, similar looking ring, right? Mm. And for casual fans, you know, sometimes kickboxing and wrestling, they don't <laughs> distinguish it sometimes, right? Right. See, tr- traditionally, kickboxing existed in Japan from like early 60s. They were always on television, but they were lightweight, the welterweight, the bantamweight, the, you know, smaller guys, right? Doing it against Japanese kickbox against Muay Thai guys from Thailand. They were rather smaller guys doing it. But K1 only brought in heavyweight kickboxer from America and Holland. That's yeah. right. The, yeah. uh, the Dutch style. The, yeah, uh, the, and then, or, or a Bronco Skatik from mm-hmm. Ukraine or something, you know? Or later, uh, uh, Krokop. Oh, of course. Oh, then he became cross crossover superstar. Mm-hmm. He went all the way to America and became UFC superstar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that was like a little bit of stealing from wrestling aura. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't exactly. I mean, it was just kickboxing, and it kind of took over the the. Yeah, the, and there was also, WKA, but if if you remember Muay Thai, the, if you catch guys in a leg, you can throw the guys to the mat, right? That's Muay Thai. Right. And also Muay Thai, you can use the elbow to cut people, mm-hmm. out, you know. But the K1 only allowed simply punching and kicking, nothing else. No elbows, no grappling, nothing. Just punching kicks that made it. That made it so easy to watch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and maybe less uh, brutal and less bloody than Muay Thai can be because some of those matches were... Oh, uh, and they cut above eyes and mm. get bloody? Oh, because they they use this elbow so sharp. Yeah, that uh, they broke that up. You know, they did not adopt this elbow and the, the, the very dangerous thing rules from off of this type, you know, Muay Thai style. It's more flashy you know superstar looking you know international superstar coming from all kinds of different countries all heavyweights it's kind of like the street fighter video game like uh best i of guess the best. i guess yeah. yeah and also k1 discovered people like bob sap that's right that's a little later <laughs> a little bit later but that's he was at the power plant wcw wrestling school mm-hmm. you know and he didn't even he probably had a few matches at the cnn's uh, the, the center stage, maybe. Power plant, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah right, right, right. Yeah, and uh, they discovered 
Bob Sapp and made him into MMA guy and also kickboxer, you know. But he was big enough and athletic enough to adapt that right away. And he was so charming as television personality and he became a star in Japan. Mm. Yeah. He was in movies and commercials and quiz show, the talk show, the, yeah. Everywhere, yeah. everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. So kind of short like, amount of time, too. Yeah. So this guy had, the, what do you call it? <laughs> expression. You know, he's, he, that the, his star thing is like, a, like a, your, what Hulk Hogan would say, flavor of the month, kind of, you know, mm. like, a, yeah. You would expire some, you know, sometime soon. Yeah. Yeah, but he's still, uh, you know, uh, an icon in Japan. He still does, you know, I mean. No, he's not in, popular here. Well, I mean, not popular, but he's still, I, I saw, I think two years ago, I saw a poster of him walking uh, walking from the subway. He's some has some CBD company in Japan. Yeah. Something like that. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that he's popular, but I think he's just a regular part of uh, everyday pop culture. Right. Uh, but uh, back in 2002 or 2003, he was like a man of the year type popularity. Yes. Yeah. He was like, uh, yeah. he's like Piku Taro uh, with 20 years before. <laughs> Flavor of the month. Yeah. But uh, he was so popular that he would be in uh, front cover of Life magazine or Time magazine, that kind of popularity. Then he's, he's also a, a big part of what we call the dark ages of Japanese. Oh, wrestling. God. He's yes. kind of like the uh, one of the mascots. Him symbol. And Takara. Yeah. Symbol. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is a, that's maybe we can say that well, that'll be for part three. But for, but there was a, still a lot happening in uh, in early nineties. I, I wanted to ask, what about or what was happening with Shuto around this time too? There were another company that also kind of went more towards uh, realistic style. Shuto was never a progressing company, but never it was once. still but it was still at the time where it was marketed where uh, it was marketed in the same way like K one or UWF where yeah, people yeah, still didn't yes, really know yes. yet because the father. Obshuto was Satoru Sayama, the original mm. Tiger Mask. He never fought there, but he was the teacher and master and founder and who created the style and also that the, he had this book, you know, language, rule book, you know, he created the rule book. And the Shuto wouldn't become too, you know, that popular until your Yamamoto Kiddos, you know, era. Uh, yeah, it's uh, much later and uh, yeah. different different idea it became it's still yeah, around Shuto, also Shuto Shuto never had really had the heavyweight fighters there are a bunch oh. of young guys with like uh, your welterweight guys and bantamweight guys you know and then when you go watch pay hundred dollar hundred you know two hundred dollar to go watch it you know not not to take away the quality of fight but uh, I think people want to you know pay money for like big production and heavyweight guys I can I around think. this time in the nineties, the only name that comes out to me aside from Sayama when we think of Shuto is uh Ensign Inoue, who, yeah, he, who was also, later. Yeah, he was a heavyweight, yes. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And he and would go also, on to uh, Lumina Sato. Oh, that's right, yeah. Right, right. So and he would popular. go on yeah, so he would popular. go on to have success in rings and almost but they're welterweight guys though right right they're not yeah. the heavyweight guys say like anyway, you see him in person it's like is that somebody who look like rumina sato or him i mean <laughs> he's like five six and 120 pounds you know i see yeah yeah yamamoto kido is a genius but he's a little guy you know mm -hmm. yeah but that yamamoto kido is another story for another day you know then he 
tragically passed away. It was, it was, yeah. it was cancer so young, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the Yamamoto family, all, all this, you know, the sisters. Famous him. wrestling family. Yeah, the Olympic gold medal people. And also that the younger sister is also gold medal. And now that the wife of Darvish, you know. Mm-hmm. The, you yeah. Darvish, the baseball player. Yeah, it's just they're always in 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 uh, limelight kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. the natural stars. And uh, Enzo Inoue was also involved. He helped raise uh, Yamamoto really early on when he was uh, he was together with um, the right, sister. Right. Yep. So, but then again, he yeah he uh, he didn't really, that Enzo didn't really become big huge star for some reason. Yeah. He was a part of the, uh, it, at this point, this is completely in the MMA pool. This is really far, it's as far away from pro wrestling, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, maybe 95 at this time or so. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he was in the mix and he was in the early Pride matches and yeah. And there were more, see, after this early MMA became successful, there are quite a few group of promoters in Japan promoted that the uh, Varitudo Japan or ah. uh, that the uh, U Spirit or, I mean, stealing UWF kind of image. Uh, there are quite a few MMA one time or another, you know, just independent company that ran MMA show at the time using pro wrestler and famous fighters. If you remember Bam Bam Bigelow against Kimo or something. Ah, that's, yeah. They did yeah. some freak show fights. Yeah, so but then again, Wrestling Magazine all covered it because of Big, Bigelow, you know. Mm. And yeah, to protect him, and he, he's a friend of mine, you know, that the, it was the worst $100,000 he ever made. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one fight, six minutes, you know, but they paid him like 100 grand, you know. But the, that 100 grand only lasted him just a couple months. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> like, uh, but when you earn the bad money, you know, you just kind of spend it, I guess. And <laughs> he was getting bigger and bigger in popularity at this time, too. I mean, bam, bam. a couple of years later, even after his WWF run. Yeah, yeah. You know. And also, he's in the Bam Bam Bigger, is also link people like your uh, WrestleMania main event, LT, against Bam Bam Bigger, if you remember. WrestleMania 11, yeah. Yeah, that uh, Vince McMahon knew that. Bam Bam Bigger was the only one capable of carrying him. What he did is pretty amazing. It's still, if you still watch, it's... um. It looks like a regular wrestling match. It's like a Bret Hart, <laughs> Tom McGee kind of thing. Yeah, so it's like a Bam Bam Bigger was capable of doing that, you know? Mm. And he was an amateur cha- in high school champion, you know? And uh, he said, he I'll stay in Japan one, another month and train a little bit and then go into the fight, you know, Kimo. And... Uh, uh, sure enough, he lost the fight. It's too bad. I couldn't see him after the match. You know, I felt hmm. so bad, you know. But uh, yeah, th- that kind of thing happened, you know. Yeah. Then there was a time where you have people like Yuji Nagata or Kendo Kashin or uh, Fujita. You know, they all went in the pro wrestler, all going to MMA fight without much of training time, you know. Mm-hmm. So brave, brave. Can you imagine the feather against Nagata? It really <laughs> happened. <laughs> uh, crazy but, now but you know it. It, it also uh no one knew what was going to to happen no one knew if fedor would have his legacy uh and speaking of fedor uh, he would start in rings yes yes which the was rings, yeah rings discovered people like nogueira brothers from brazil and they um they discovered people like uh alista Allframe 
or Gary Goodridge or mm-hmm. uh, the, the Federer Emilienko. And all these people were discovered by Ring's Akira Maeda. So Randy Couture. He, yeah, there you go. So give him credit where credit is due. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had a uh, very sharp eye for what was going on and who who would uh, make money yeah, without compromising. Yeah, what's so compromising. interesting, ironic, was that uh, by then he was all beat up, and Akira Maeda himself was retired, you know, ready to retire himself as a fighter. Yeah, so that there is another what if. Mm-hmm. You know? What if meaning like, what if it was Akira Maeda's peak year? You know, it wasn't. You know, he was more of a producer. And after Rings, you know, he had a, another company like a Big Mouth Loud or Heroes or The Outsiders. Outsiders still exist, but uh, The Outsider is a kind of like a MMA fight with a whole bunch of non-professional fighters. You know, guys are just fresh out of some karate dojo or MMA gym or, or street fighter at that. You know, they put him in the ring and fight, you know. A mm-hmm. crazy idea, but uh, it's not pro wrestling. It's MMA, you know. Right. Yeah, but that I mean, the like countless, countless uh, spinoff, you know, existed after that. And it was initially it started with these UWF. UWF. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So that's why it's very important, and also it was still pro wrestling. That's why it's like, uh, you know, pro wrestling still is long, longest lasting. Pro wrestling, I mean, the professional sport entertainment. Mm-hmm. And the uh, definition of professional wrestling varies depending on, you know, that the era you have lived. Yeah. And, uh, and this, uh, the, the UWF core, where this started, the Big Bang, it was, um, you know, still kicking today. I think even more so now than ever, I think, especially watching, uh, you know, New Japan. A couple of weeks ago, we, you, you were there at Budokan, you saw yeah. the grappling exhibition. Oh, Shibata, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. against uh, the Zack Sabre. Yep, well, oh, he, he's he somebody good. who reminds me, you know, of, of Maida. He's a- right, but he was a little kid then, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he grew up watching that stuff, and that's and he- what he wanted to do. But he joined his father's legacy, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and he would do that within wrestling frame. So that's mm. another way to do it, you know? What so- he does in the ring is not much different from what Takada, you know, Maida was doing. But he will like to be doing that in New Japan Ring, and hope it makes sense. It does to him. Adapt. He could wrestle uh, the style, but but with anybody. Well, because he will have he will be doing the same style against people like Okada, Tanahashi, or yeah Naito. You know, he will be the same guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that can be done too. Yeah. Mm. Some some wrestlers even still have uh, this UF, uh, excuse me, UWF style. It's like their specialty. Shibata's his <laughs> yeah, specialty, yeah. yeah. And also, some some of these people want to come out with UWF theme music. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, oh, when and I, the I people like, us... like yeah, yeah, Kiyoshi Tamura to this day, he uses that music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, when I saw Sakuraba at the Tokyo Dome, he had yeah, a, he used the music. Yeah, yeah, of course. Or like we said, Yamazaki when he's doing commentary and he's introduced. Sometimes he'll stand up that's and wave, and he's this UWF music. Yeah, of course, that's his UWF guy forever. Mm. Yeah, but uh, so that's uh, kind of like your discipline, the school you come from. You know, Suzuki and Funaki they broke from that though. Yes, because the Pancras needed another new identity. You know, yeah, and then became Pancras hybrid wrestler. 
Mm. And they they also had they were kind of in between what K One was doing and UWFI were doing. It was uh, yeah, but they all went to the complete MMA though. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that guys like Bas Rutin who yeah were they, he wasn't even fighters. Wrestler. He was a, he was a kickboxer, kickboxer from Holland and learned the grappling and uh, MMA style in Japan. Mm -hmm. Guy Metzer, of course, Ken Shamrock. Jason Delucia. Oh, oh, Jason Delucia. Oh, yeah, of course. Who all the way to Kung Josh Fu Burnett. Guy. Yeah, all yeah, the way to right. jo Josh Burnett generation. Mm -hmm. See, Josh Burnett is like a 10, 12, 15 years younger than these guys, you know? Mm -hmm. But the, he is an intelligent guy who studied the history. And he even wrote a re research paper in college about this. And uh, he is the one who is going to probably... Uh, you know, continue the study of this, you know, what professional wrestling should be and uh, what MMA transition uh, was and is and will be kind of thing. Of course. Now I he runs Blood Sport. Mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, he's very interesting. one of the last uh, connections to the guys like Billy Robinson. Yeah, yes. Right. To the original because Snake Pit. People's, you know, fighters and wrestlers peak years, what, five to ten years? Mm. Of course, professional wrestlers... Some of these people wrestle 30 years or so, but the peak years in your life as, as an athlete is maybe 10 years, right? Mm. And uh, Billy Robinson's peak year, 1960s and 1970s, but you can still learn from it. Carl Gotch's peak year, probably 1950s, but he, hmm. yeah, he kept coming because yeah, he was in 1948 Olympic and the Carl Gotch was training people all the way to 90s in Japan. Yeah. And look at Suzuki now. Minoru Suzuki now. He is like the answer to Carl Gotch. Yeah. Is our, yeah, I, I think that there's nobody that's um, kind of gone through so much, had a, like a career where they really did go all over the world and pick up a bunch of different styles and adapt and to everything. What's, yeah, what's amazing about today's Minoru Suzuki is that uh, he, go, you know, he goes into AEW and have pro professional wrestling match against people like, you know, John Moxley and Brian Danielson, right? Mm-hmm. Then he goes to GCW and Deathmatch Company and have a match, you know. Mm -hmm. Then next week he goes to Josh Burnett's Blood Sport and does his thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the match isn't all that different. He does no. what he does. And uh, so the, he's like a living proof of, you know, Carl Gotch School of Professional Wrestling. And his finish is Carl Gotch Power Driver. Yeah. So, and Minoru Suzuki is very, very important figure in, 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 to understand the wrestling itself. Yeah, and I mean, I can't think of uh, at least in the states. I can't. He's he's as big as he ever was, and I think, um, yeah, he's like a living legend. Living legend right now. Yes, and he's still. I mean, he's fifty-three year old, top shape still, and uh, he moves like younger guy. And, and sometimes, you, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, you know he. I noticed even when he was over here, he didn't he didn't win every match. He didn't win most of his. I mean, he won some matches, but you know, like um, I think the Brian Danielson match or um, yeah, yeah, or a tag team match or something like that. He it, so it, it it's proof. It just he's like a liger or or you know yeah, he, he doesn't yeah, really you know what. But the, he after he lost the match or the tag team match, it was his tag team partner that the uh, Archer that didn't really harm him you know what i'm saying not at all not, not at, at all. all yeah so he is just the same you know suzuki that just as important and just as respected 
so special so mm. special yeah. and um i don't i can't see it uh being over anytime soon he seems like he's spry and uh as great as ever yeah and his music for another example that uh, that uh spotify music international chart that his music went into top 10 ayumi nakamura the original singer of course big huge art you know act in japan but uh that song itself you know hit you know that uh started appearing in international top 10 in spotify it's only because of minoru suzuki you know <laughs> that's really interesting yeah he's his career just it was another very different one very uh, uh yeah i didn't yeah i didn't know there was another chapter you know i think Amazing. there are a few more chapters too because yeah i think there's there's a, a more mma the, the the road is going down more to you know mma is going to be created but the pro wrestling it stays it's not like a one style morphed into another style it was the the paths kind of forked a few different ways you know yeah because for instance minoru suzuki against brian danielson they looked like great looking professional wrestling match mm. you know what i'm saying or well, even course, yeah danielson is so good and even his match with uh, Kingston, Eddie Kingston recently, that was a more of a Japanese-style pro wrestling match. We're seeing that on mainstream level now. Oh, Hard hitting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the same style, like a Brian Danielson. I, I could easily see the, the modern Brian Danielson in the 1989 UWF. You know? oh, he, oh, of course, yeah. Uh, he, he dabbled. He was uh, in Japan earlier on, then, uh, and he was a New Japan Dojo trainee with... Yeah, were, yeah, that the LA Dojo. training. And also, he style. had an early match against like a very professional wrestling North style match, Brian Danielson against people like Maruhuji and Kenta. That happened mm -hmm. too. So, uh, very versatile. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, yeah, we, we, we can I, learn I think, that from different guys from different era. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are so many, especially in the 90s too. After. After the second iteration of UWF folded, we splintered off into you know, three Fujiwara different, Gumi, oh, four, four different yeah, UWF rings. rings, and Which, also battlers. Uh, I have to add that the, after that, the second generation of Fujiwara Gumi, another group, battlers, came out too. That's right. That's a little yeah. later on. Yeah, Yuki Shikawa's group. That group produced a lot of wrestlers like Alexander Otsuka or WWE Funaki. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, that uh, uh Minoru Tanaka Minoru Tanaka or Noah's Mohammed you know Mohammed Yone. Yone, yep. oh yeah the, they all came out of that and that was uh, that was where oh, we Ik started Ikuto Hidaka zero one oh, that's yeah. right yeah Ikuto Hidaka and um this is I mean again that was we're fast forwarding a little bit but I, that was when we'd see a little bit more of like a international wrestling flavor incorporated into the uwf style you you would see somebody like tanaka you know tanaka yeah right because he could wrestle in new japan style yeah, too because there's a little delay you know because people like minoru you know tanaka that he was not trained under original uwf he was trained under fujiwara gumi mm -hmm. which is similar but uh not exactly uwf but very similar mm -hmm. yeah so Lara, and, um, and then also we gotta realize that the, what you practice in that dojo it's pretty much the same if you go into mma or professional wrestling that the, what you do in, in that dojo you grapple and you learn 
you know, mm-hmm. just the basic same fighting style. They wrestle. Yeah, and then make it into make it into professional wrestling or use that for MMA, you know, aspect of it or environment. Yeah. So what you do in dojo is not that much different. Yeah, after all. I think in the inside the ring you would just see a you know dialed up version. You'd see a more yeah, and version. also to be a professional wrestler, you have to be basically a wrestling fan to do so, you know? Yeah, because as, uh, as a kid, you somehow have to tell a story to keep people interested. Yeah, or well, you want to go out there and do a German suplex, so beautiful. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But it had to be the right timing, the right part of the match. Right. right. So it's a different, yeah. After you become professional, it's a whole new, you know, whole new method of learning. Yeah, of course. Storytelling and baby face and heels and heat and comeback and false finish finished all these things it's different school but uh, what you do in dojo is what i'm saying is like not that much different mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> did we cover some ground because we you know skip like a dim like going back and forth about two three decades of stories well i think <laughs> I, I guess we, we had to well, because of what happened in the 90s, I think we could honestly do a, a show just on Pancrase and just on Fujiwara Gumi, just because there was so much that we that happened in those oh, the rings. years. Yeah. Rings, absolutely. Yeah. Maida probably too. But I yeah. think we could stop here and do part three. <laughs> yes, sir. And I, my idea is to jump back in because I think a big turning point coming up was 1995 when... UWF was about to just about to close, and there was a UWFI. UWFI, excuse me. Right. UWFI and uh, you're talking about Keiji Muto against Nobuhiko Takara. Yes, this was uh, and the, merged into tradition. That part of UWF merged back to New Japan Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. style. Yeah. After about ten years or more yeah. of uh, being away, developing. Then also, then then uh, following year, the match like Takada against Tenru happened. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's traditional pro wrestling. Yeah. Hashimoto, so, yeah, Shinya Hashimoto against Takada? Of course. Yeah. Oh, and Hashimoto is a big part of this too, later, a year or two later. Yeah, because what he does in the ring is very similar to UWF style, but he never wanted to be part of the UWF. He's a New Japan guy, you know? And then he still couldn't escape it because he ended up, uh, he ended up with uh, Ogawa. Two years, right? No, right. Just a that's, year later, that's about. Got almost like a karma or something, right? Yeah, it was bound to happen. He <laughs> was inevitable, inevitable. And also, me. yeah, we have to touch upon Naoya Ogawa too, because he was almost like a alien came in, coming to the mm-hmm. scene. You know, Olympic gold medal judoka trying to join professional wrestling, and Inoki put him in the ring with zero training of professional wrestling. Just go out and do it. Mm. What's gonna happen? You know. And what happened, it was interesting. Yeah. And that wasn't even the original plan. It was supposed to have more of a pro wrestling uh, approach. I guess. Ken Shamrock. Yeah. Right, right. But uh, no, right. Ken Shamrock didn't come in and uh, signed with WWE at the time. And uh, they said, well, we have Naoya Ogawa, rookie debut, but put him in the main event. <laughs> Do you think it did better than Shamrock would have done? Shamrock would you know, was, you know, move himself towards pro wrestling once he comes to Japan, probably. Because mm. what happened in WWE ring, only first first three months, he had this MMA UFC aura, right? Right. And maybe two months, I mean, like five weeks or so in, he started bouncing off the ropes. 
Mm-hmm. Hurricane Rana. Yeah, and then there was Bret Hart against Ken Shamrock early on. Mm. And Bret Hart will make you wrestle like WWE. Yeah. Very and different the, style. Yeah, and then also six-man tag team, Road Warriors, Legion of Doom, and Ken Shamrock together. Mm. You can help but become professional wrestling style. Right. Yeah, so that's a very interesting part that we have to touch upon. Mm. Shamrock had a, a special in and out career between MMA and, and pro wrestling. He's another representative of all this. His big oh, part. of course, very big part. And Dan Severn too. Part. They're kind of parallel at points. Yeah, more Ken Shamrock more so because he lasted longer. Yes, and also he became superstar. Like a, he had movies, you know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and he's famous. Mm-hmm. And also, Dan Severn is more. Ath, you know, amateur athlete, like very humble person, you know. And he did less of the pro wrestling and like the entertainment in, part in, the... in, in, in American turf. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Ken Shamrock always had the other people surrounded by him, whispering a lot of things in his ear and ideas, and uh, you know that's why he ended up doing a lot of different things. Mm. Yeah. So, but things started to wind down a little bit. Ninety-five, ninety-six. When yeah, end of WWFI, yes, yeah, but uh, at the same time, Pancras was strong and rings, ne- you know, Maida never looked back, you know, mm. and never was part of pro wrestling after rings, and uh, so uh, but still supported by a lot of wrestling fans because who was producing it, you know, so Akira Maida had his fan base that who believed in him, you know. And uh, rings wasn't exactly professional wrestling anymore, but the Maeda, this is like what Maeda's goal and his vision. So we'll watch it, you know, until the end. Mm. But uh, yeah, rings came to an end at uh, 2002, 12 years. Yeah, after 12 years. And Pancras still exists to this day. Yeah, two different Pancras, America and Japan. Right, and yeah. the style is is your what. Well, is modern MMA just like you'd see in UFC? Yeah, no to... pro wrestler in it. No, right, no. right. Although some again... pro wrestlers do uh, <clears throat> show up in uh, Pancrase, like Kyoko Kimura, for example, or um, who else? There are other wrestlers that will sometimes show up, but it's, because they're uh, friends, yeah, friend, or uh, Hikaru Sato from All Japan Pro Wrestling. He was because he started fan. out. He started out a Pancras fighter, and he was with Hikaru Sato All Japan, right? Mm-hmm. He was Pancras fighter first 10 years, then started pro wrestling. Mm. Then he uh, almost like confessed he was a wrestling fan all along. <laughs> and you can tell too, he does a lot of uh, the silly uh, things these days too. Yeah, yeah. So but, that's, uh, the, the elements are always there, you know? Mm. Mm. Not like every single Pancras fighter was complete 100% Pancras MMA fighter. There's like hidden wrestling fans in it, you know? Mm-hmm. And and yeah. some were always like very um, just they, they they didn't have a pro wrestling vibe or, or interest or or appeal at all. Somebody like right. Se- Semi Schilt. Oh just, oh, he was kickboxer from Holland. Yeah yeah, yeah the, especially the Dutch guys or the French guys. Uh, uh, Gilbert Evel. They did not have professional wrestling background in mm-hmm. his own country. Or Ernesto Hoost. Oh, Ernest Hoost, complete kickboxer. Mm-hmm. But they, he did have a couple professional wrestling matches with Hustle. And it looks so bad. 
Oh, that, that's another. We'll have to get to that, too. That's what, when <laughs> that's the MMA so guys confusing. were going into pro so wrestling. So confusing. Yeah. When you talk about that, like examples and exceptions and uh, individual cases. Right. Because it, it go, we have to talk about pride because pride is kind of the ultimate vision of pro wrestling and MMA at the same time. And the professional wrestler went in and basically lost a lot of fight. It you know? completely changed uh, pro wrestling, but it's, it also that, changed. Then that was the beginning of our dark age, you know, mm. and I almost gave up on it once. I think a lot of people went through uh, phases where they had to step out for a moment because everything, in, in, not just in Japan, but in the States too, uh, everything was totally, the makeup was totally different. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, kind of a slow evolution and then suddenly uh, just an explosion on you know every, yeah, every side. Yeah. A couple of years before in Mexico too, and then in Japan and then in the States, I think yeah. things changed a lot. Right, um, right. UWF was affected by this change too in the mid '90s, and they were forced to kind of, you know, connect back with pro wrestling roots. And, and uh, also, their their business didn't last so long as they wanted it to be. You know, mm -hmm. it seemed yeah. like there were camps that were more of the mind they want to be a pro wrestler, and some fighters wanted to do MMA fights. It would go one path or the other path. Right, but I said, like I said, that the individual case is different because you know Kazushi Sakuraba looks like or understood as MMA fighter all the way right mm -hmm. but, but he says uh, he's a pro wrestler yeah and now he's you know working with, with pro wrestling Noah mm -hmm. you know as a or Barnett group. too yeah yeah so it's like a, there's always gonna be a, some like a crossover people you know it's crossover. It's also kind of a gray area too. It's ambiguous. Gray area. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because yeah. it's it's, uh, it's up to the observer to to decide what it is, I suppose. But I don't know. Or you and me and every single one of us. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. That that kind of was on the stage uh, it, when we saw Muto versus Takara. That, yeah, that and then, kind and of then idea a lot of people versus thought, idea. Uh, Takata was going to kick Muto's ass or something, right? Well, he, he did. <laughs> didn't he win the first match? No, Muto. Oh, Muto won the, with the the, the uh, figure four. Yeah, that's it. Win and for that's pro only, wrestling. Yeah, that's the only match people remember. The second meet, yes, Takada beat Muto the second time and, and it became IWGP champion in in following January, but nobody remembers that match really. Trust hmm. me. The first encounter is the most important. And the packed 65,000 people at the Tokyo Dome, Keiji Muto beat Nobuhiko Takada, and that's the only match people remember. And the memory is a funny thing, you know? It mm -hmm. was like a one win and one lose, you know? But uh, they I, I can't recall. I was there, though. But uh, I don't remember the following January match where Takada beat Muto back and, and get the IWGP belt. The first match is the only one people talk about to today, to this day. Really. It seems like the fans decided that this is not, uh, it's not a sports type situation. We saw the story unfold. Uh, it doesn't matter if Takata yeah, wins. Yeah, but it goes beyond professional wrestling match that, uh, that uh, evidently after Keiji Muto beat Nobuhiko Takada, Six months later, UWFI went out of business for real. And that was it. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So the hindsight that uh, it's so realistic. And a lot of those faces, uh, not all of them continued on. I mean, that was kind of it for a lot of fighters. A lot of fighters would either go on to completely different career paths. Somebody yeah, like uh, but, Funaki or Tamura. Yeah. But then young, young boy with UWFI, like Sakuraba and Takayama, they had mm. their peak years, you know, years to come. <laughs> That's right, too. Yeah, because they were talented, you know, and they had superstar look, you know. When they were from pro wrestling mind. That too, but willing to have a, you know, especially like a Takayama, Takayama against Don Fry punching match. Mm. Yeah, made the most famous MMA other. match ever. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it has the spirit of pro wrestling with two pro wrestlers. Yeah, that they just stood there and take each other's blow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, and then change the, the the shape of your face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, we'll have to talk about that next time too, and, and sure. you know the Gracies return and and Sakuraba even again, and yeah, and then the Sakura, the Sakuraba beating. Hoist, Hoist Gracie at the Tokyo Dome. It's all oh, God, a relief that the 90 minute match. That oh my the, gosh. Yeah, that the wrestling fan was, it was like the happiest moment. Mm. Finally beat the Gracie, you know? A very long match. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, uh, it was uh, almost like a, a better than a submission that the, that the Gracie threw in the towel. Threw in the towel, like mm. really giving up the fight. Yeah. I mean, what better outcome was that? <laughs> Yeah. It's like waving the white flag is surrender. Yeah, because, you know, the hoist himself wouldn't give it up. So, you know, for his, you know, well-being, his family threw in the towel, you know, so what better way? Good yeah. story. Isn't it, though? And also around this time, uh, Maida had his final match with Alexander Karelin. Yeah. It was, I think uh, it was the same year, yeah. Same year, 2000? yeah. So it was very symbolic. And the regular evening news covered that. And the funny thing about that is, wasn't that a pro wrestling match? That wasn't uh, an exhibition. 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 Okay. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So it, it wasn't a, as real as the other fights that were happening in rings. I think I'd say it's just as real because Maeda, you know, had the leg submission and that uh, Alexander Karin grabbed the, grabbed the rope for rope break. So mm. he really made him submit for one second, you know, one second. He threatened him. I think so. Mm. Yeah, so the reality was there. Yeah. And which was a lot different than Takara versus Hicks and Gracie or something like that. A completely different, um, I mean, yeah, different stakes. Fixed, that the Hicks and Gracie style. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, the Alexander Karelin from Russia was never a professional wrestler. He was a three-time gold medal amateur freestyle wrestler from Russia and he was like he came to Japan to do the exhibition match for 10 minutes you know yeah so it's not like your prize fight or anything like that mm. it was like a almost for government Gracie's sponsor family, yeah. all the professional fight was like a prize fight you yes. Know? yes yeah oh, and, and also the a lot of lot was on at stake because Gracie family could not lose a match to a professional wrestler so I mean, they didn't think that's possible because the, the all the gracie biz, jiu-jitsu business 
in all over all over the world will die or something. And so they, they were risking a lot too. Well, it's funny though because the Gracie family always had these matches on their own terms with their own rules. Which yeah, that, the only way they do it because they don't want to risk wrestling attitude though, isn't it? Because they, I mean, shoot or work, they want to win. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and they want to make a lot of money too. And we skipped over, and we can talk about it next time. But the uh, the reverse challenge when Anjo went to challenge the uh, Gracies, Gracie. Dojo. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Beginning of close, the end, closed for door. UWF. Closed door, mm. and the amateur video was taped, and it leaked. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting. Have you seen it? Oh no, I haven't seen it. I've I've only heard. Things. But I but I um, I was there when we made the magazine pages. Every frame of it. Oh, the bloody face. And uh, everything that was photographed. Oh wow! We'll have to talk about that in more detail next time. Yeah, I haven't seen uh, that the uh, amateur eight millimeter, you know, videotape or anything like that. That exists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What happened at the dojo? Because Hicks and Gracie's people want to tape that, you know, that the dojo match as uh, evidence. Mm-hmm. What if I mean, like somebody sue or call police or you know, or some gang member come back and do something or some something weird, you know, because they mm-hmm. have completely different mindset to that martial arts uh you know mentality mindset. yeah 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 i think so yeah but that's another subject for another day and another subject for another day yeah i'm sorry but i think that one that that kind of leads to the new japan situation it, those were the two it was one two with the the challenge to the gracies then the new japan relationship and a year later Takara versus Hicks and Gracie and Pride. But it's I, all UWFI, not UWF. Excuse me, UWFI. I'm, I'm thinking I'm, it, but I'm not saying No, no, all, I'm, not just you, but the most American wrestling journalists do. UWF only existed for three years, mm-hmm. 88, 89, 90. That's it. And anything after that, they were calling it UWFI, UWF International, but it's completely separate company with completely separate philosophy to it mm-hmm. seriously and uh um more foreign wrestlers uh bigger shows different stars at the top because they wanted to last as a business luthez involvement yeah billy robinson involvement mm-hmm. yeah and then they wanted to make it like uh antonio inoki's peakier version of new japan pro wrestling yes, yes. that was a business model yeah really that was their vision then no, oh, there's a lot more to unpack. Wow, it's it's like the, the you <laughs> yeah, don't realize it until you talk about it. We have to distinguish between the original UWF and UWF International. Yes, the original yeah, UWF it's, was it's, different makeup, different people. Yeah, and then all of them are there. Mm-hmm. All of them. <laughs> yeah, and also all 31 shows are in tapes or the actually not DVD but the laser disc. Oh yeah. Laser disc. <laughs> laser that was the disc. time when uh, laser discs were. Was uh, yeah, I thought they were gonna take over mm-hmm. before DVD. I do have every single match of UWF on laser disc here in my oh, house. Wow, but I wow, don't have cool. laser disc player. <laughs> I don't oh, have sure, laser disc player. You can uh, go to your Dubai camera. I'm sure they can get the used one. Okay, yeah. maybe. Yeah, but the laser disc it, it went out of style real quick. I have. I remember watching a laser disc in school, but that's. I never watched a, a one on it my own. It looks like a LP record side. Right. It's huge. Yeah. 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 I bought the player, and it, I just I had to get rid of it when I moved. You know. Mm. 
yeah. it kind of you know laserdisc died with you know ewfi i guess they kind of go hand in hand it seems yeah. like and also people are looking for a lot of uwf you know footage now right mm-hmm. but it's like it's another story that that uh, it's a mess that the original three-year uwf footage who has the rights to it and uh, the company called quest and the president passed away a couple of years ago and nobody really knows who owns what. <laughs> yeah, and there's lots of different footage, different events with the same talent involved, right? So yeah. it's and because it was never under one big corporate umbrella like uh, like New Japan per se, you or know, TV Asahi's footage. Yeah. Right, right. It doesn't it's not it doesn't belong to a company. It's Mm-mm. just it's kind of out there. They can make they can make argument, you know, like each each and every wrestler, somebody like, you know, Minoru Suzuki saying like, but I'm in it, so it's my footage, and probably right. win the court case. Yeah, because there probably wasn't any anticipation of a streaming service or or you know, they a didn't catalog. know it was going to be like this. Yeah, no, yeah. so and they also, didn't sign any contracts. You can find most of the match realistically on YouTube. Somebody already posted it, mm-hmm. and pretty high quality too. But it's all bootleg right it has to be yeah, i mean yeah. so if it's that's not like available a, that's to buy. what's making uwf legacy even more elusive mm-hmm. right yeah but so, we uh, see it in a lot more of the modern uh, mainstream wrestlers in the u.s in japan all over the world the style the is in, in the dna of, yeah dna influence philosophy and style actual physical style and the way to define or like a like a idea of what pro wrestling should be or what mma should be kind of thing mm-hmm. existential yeah. philosophy and thinking about what wrestling is or yeah like you said, it should and be. I, we have to say we are fortunate to be able to witness all that yeah because it was so short yeah all yeah. of it was actually quite short yeah but it still have the stem to this day though you know mm-hmm. yeah so that's what's interesting because we're talking about UWF from 30 years ago. Mm. And people still talk about it. And books and books are still coming out in Japan about UWF. What mm. it was and what it wasn't. You know? Yeah. And every single one of them had their autobiography out too. And uh, uh, Each star, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's telling different story, you know, completely. So it's just, you don't know what. That's why people keep studying it, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's pretty dramatic too. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's where we can stop today. And uh, let's have the final episode, part three, next time. And uh, I hope we can go to 2021. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the 2000s, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I think we're going to focus on MMA, the, the MMA era, the beginning of the dark ages of pro wrestling in Japan next time. And the return of Minoru Suzuki to a traditional pro wrestling and he had this logo on his back called Pancras Mission. Pancras, mm-hmm. Pancras logo, but not red color, but blue color. Same X, you know, Pancras logo, but mm-hmm. says Pancras Mission. And uh, he was still Pancras guy doing professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting, huh? Paving the way for that to be more normal. In and uh, there was like a 2006 fight, like Jushin Liger against Minoru Suzuki under Pancras rule. Mm-hmm. Oh That's gosh. right. <laughs> oh, we have a lot to details, cover next time. Details. My Lots gosh. of detail. 
Yeah. But some of the same people keep popping up over and over. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the five years too old or, you know, mm. yeah. A few years after their peak years, but it's still what's important is that, that they were willing to do that, you know? Okay. So if people want to ask you questions for me, where can they find you on, uh, on Twitter? Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo. Or you can find me, Fumi Saito, on Facebook. And I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R on oh, Twitter. Oh, I have Instagram too. Oh, yeah? Fumi, yeah, Fumi Saito 2001. Fumi Saito 2001 on Instagram. It's my Instagram, yeah. I don't use it that much. That's why yeah, I don't, young, I don't have an Instagram. <laughs> oh, I never caught on. Young, younger guy, you know, wrestling fans don't like Facebook that much. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, my college students, they, are, they all have Instagrams, but they think, you know, Facebook are for older people. They, they said that. I can sense that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. But oh, well. Uh, uh, you could find it. But if you do find uh, me on Facebook, remember to send them a message before you add them as a friend. Uh, okay. Send an initial yeah. message. Be polite, yes. everyone. Okay. So, Fumi, take it away until next time. So long from Tokyo.